This evening, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 26. Deuteronomy chapter 3, begin with verse 26. And after you find your place, if you're able to, please stand and follow along with me. Deuteronomy 3, begin verse 26. But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes, and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, Let it suffice thee, speak no more unto me of this matter. Get thee up into the top of Pisgah, and lift up thine eyes westward, and northward, and southward, and eastward, and behold it with thine eyes, for thou shalt not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua... And encourage him, and strengthen him. For he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. So we abode in the valley over against Beth Peor. Now chapter 4, begin verse 1. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them, that ye may live, and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen the Lord, has seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land, whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes, and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great, who hath God so nigh unto them? as the Lord our God is in all things that we can call upon Him for. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again for the privilege that we have to be able to be here together tonight. We thank You that we can sing with knowledge that great is Thy faithfulness. Father, I pray that we would live lives that bear testimony to that truth. As we look into this portion tonight, Father, we thank You that These things are given to us for an example. I pray that we would not just put them aside as some old historical fact, but, Father, that we would rejoice in your graciousness toward us, the privilege that we have to learn from those that have gone before us, to learn the principles of thy word, to learn more of thee. And I pray that you'd help me this evening, Father, to be able to communicate from your word truth that would be profitable for the working that you're desiring and you need to do in each of our lives. In Jesus' name we thank thee and we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This evening I want to uh, look at something that many think is a bad word. Uh, In fact, I think if we're honest, most of us in here at some time or another would say that we've struggled with uh, the term that I'm going to be mentioning, that we're going to be looking at. I don't think I've preached it here before. I know I have at Calvary. And I apologize if I have, but it's still what I believe the Lord would have me to come to uh, because it's something that is so critical for our lives today. Don't raise hands or anything like that, but how many of you have ever struggled with the matter of standards? And usually the struggle we have with standards is what? It's our rebellious spirit within us, isn't it? That's not what the standard is so much. It's our rebellious spirit. No, I don't want to do that. Uh, And a lot of times it's because of our lack of understanding. Again, this morning, as we mentioned, that many people say, well, I don't believe. Yes, they do. It's a matter of what they believe. There are many who would say, well, I don't want any standards set. I don't care if you're AOC. She standards that she's established, too. Uh, and they're wretched and wicked, but she has established standards in her life. Every individual has established standards in their life. So we need to be honest with ourselves again. 
being honest with ourselves. What are the standards that we've established? What do we need to do in our own lives about where we are? Uh, this is a report that was from last year in the AP News. It was about a lawsuit to challenge efforts to push abstinence only, uh, challenging the efforts to push abstinence only on teens. Several affiliates of Planned Parenthood sued the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services on Friday over its efforts to impose an abstinence-only focus on its teen pregnancy prevention program that has served more than one million young people. Planned Parenthood says that lawsuits are intended to protect the teen pregnancy prevention program from what they termed ineffective abstinence-only until marriage curriculums. Evidence shows such programs do not work according to their spokesperson. They contend that abstinence-only programs can contain false and misleading information and stigmatize teens who are practicing immorality in their lives, my terminology. Most people have practiced immorality, my terminology, by the time they're 18, Planned Parenthood said in a press release. First of all, it's from the pits of hell of what this statement says. Secondly, it's totally lies. But thirdly, it's to sway the thinking of people. And what, essentially what they're saying is to set standards of abstinence only is unrealistic, that it's wrong, instead of teaching how to and why it ought to. We say, well, we understand that's wrong. Yet in the lives of Christians, how often do we rebel against the establishment of standards in our lives? Sometimes the rejection, rebellion, is because we don't understand it. One of the big challenges for many today uh, that have come through different conservative Christian aspects, independent fundamental Baptist or whatever, of a rebellion against standards or rebellion against the textual issue uh, is based upon the fact that it was taught as tradition and not based upon the Word of God. We need to understand why we're doing things. And sometimes the why might be because I'm in submission to the authority that God has placed over me. And really, that's all we need to know. As long as it's not contrary to Scripture, that's all we need to know. Sometimes it may be on down the road before we understand the why, have that aha moment of this is why that was so. You know, it's been said that uh, the uh, teens and young adults know everything. And then the older we get, the more we realize we don't know. And the older we are, we know we don't know everything, the less that we realize that we know. So, so often it's a matter of submitting to the authority in this matter of standards because we're under submission to the authority. But I want us to look at the biblical perspective of the what and the why and the how of establishing standards these are not definitions that I had developed or created. It's something that I have read that I thought was very sound and profitable. I want to share with you. But first of all, definition of principles. Principles, a principle is a truth from God's word by which we are to live. A principle is a truth from God's word by which we are to live. So many disregard the Old Testament. Well, it's just old history. It was God dealing with the nation of Israel. We're under grace now. They were under the law. The principles that are there are manifold. And as we're reading, it doesn't matter where we are, there's principles. There's specifics that may not be the same for today, but the principles are. And we need to know those principles. As we're studying Scripture, as we hear the preaching of God's Word, we need to be designed to learn what are the principles in that portion of Scripture. So it's a truth from God's Word by which we are to live. The next one is, Conviction. Don't write this down, but how many of you have ever heard conviction is something I'm willing to die on the sword for and die? I've heard, I heard that for years as the definition of what a conviction is. And, you know, I struggle with that one. This, I think, is a more sound definition of a conviction. It's a personal belief based upon God's Word. A conviction is a personal belief based upon God's Word. So we have principles, then we have convictions, 
which is when we're taking that principle and applying it into my life. And then the third definition is standard. That's the one that we all want to argue and rebel against, isn't it? A standard is a guideline which helps us keep our convictions to instill and implement biblical principles into our lives. A standard is a guideline which helps us keep our convictions to instill and implement biblical principles into our lives. In other words, for our lives to grow in holiness and Christ-likeness. And I want to give an example, working through of a very basic example, just to help give understanding to be able to apply how does this fit in my life. Uh, but what we're looking here is these definitions pertain to every aspect in our life. When we hear the word prince or standards, probably for most people, some of the first things that pop up, dress, music, uh, entertainment. But really it goes far beyond that in our lives. So a principle from God's word. Don't turn here. I'm going to read for you, though, 1 Samuel 15, 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Now, obviously, we don't give burnt offerings and sacrifices anymore. But there's a principle there for us. It's the matter of obedience to God's word. The importance of obedience to God's word. That not only is it a protection to me, but more importantly, it's honoring to the Lord. That it's actually a form of worship to God before God. So the principle here, the truth from God's word by which we are to live, is that we are to be obedient to God's word. Then from that, once we learn the principle, then we need to seek to establish a conviction, a personal belief based upon God's word. And this is where we start falling apart. So many academically know principles from God's word, but they never apply them into their life, into a personal belief, into this is what my life is going to be built upon. This is what my life is going to be grounded upon. So with that principle, conviction, I will obey God's word. That's the conviction from that. I will obey God's word. It means acknowledging God's word and knowing God's word, doesn't it? So the principle here is obedience to God's word. The conviction in my life is I'm going to strive to obey God's word, meaning that I have to know it. Okay, so then the next thing we look at is what is the standard that we're going to put in place? What is the guideline to help me to keep my conviction so I can instill this principle into my life as a part of my life. Some would be, I will read and study God's word. I will be diligent to protect the sources of instruction that I go to. It's not wrong to read other books. We need to be careful what we're reading, what we're paying attention to. If we're reading sound books, it's really a teacher that we've availed ourselves to. And we need to be very careful and we need to be very cautious. We need to remember that cults try to draw in by making differences seem trivial. You look at Jehovah's Witnesses. You look at Mormonism. You even look at Islam. They try to make the differences seem trivial. I don't know what the statistics are now, but a decade or so ago I saw that Baptists were actually one of the big sources for Mormonism. You look at Roman Catholicism, how many are going into Roman Catholicism? They're making the differences seem trivial. When in fact, like we said this morning, oftentimes it's a totally different gospel that's being taught, that's being preached. The emergent church seeking to make things trivial. The mission board that we were with when we left, uh, one of the things that I had gone to them about was an article that one of the directors had written on discipleship, and the only source aside from Scripture, and it was cited more than Scripture, was a man that is an apostate. When I went to his website, he was work, showed working with Jehovah's Witnesses, but he was writing about discipleship. And then this was sent to, without any warning, to thousands of churches and homes. It's bringing in, it's opening the door then 
for the wrong teaching to be coming in. Uh, so the standard uh, that I need to establish is going to include the fact that I'm going to be very diligent to protect the sources of instruction. That's why God has established the local church. That's why God has given the pastors in the local church. If you're looking to read other things, you need to be checking with your pastor. You know, is this sound? Is this something good to be reading? And he may say, well, you know, there's good here, but there's these things you need to be aware of that you need to be cautious about. And then the third aspect here regarding the standard is I will apply God's word into my life. So the standard, the principle is obedience to God's word. The conviction is I'm going to obey God's word. And then the standard is I'm going to read and study. I'm going to protect what I'm reading and studying. And I'm going to apply God's word into my life. The scripture memory that you all are doing right now. I forget. That's, I know it's fewer than 10 verses out of the whole 176 verses. That's fewer than 10 verses do not have a very specific mention of God's word. But in Psalm 119, in verse 9, he said, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word, the matter of noting the word of God in order to obey it. And then the importance of memorizing it in verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. That's another standard to add to this. And in verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. That verse is when you say, what does that have to do with the matter of being obedience to God's word? What happens when you start grumbling? Bitterness and rebellion, doesn't it? doesn't matter what it's about. It may be grumbling because pastor said we need to be doing this. It may be grumbling because mom and dad said we need to be doing this or shouldn't be doing this. The protection is here. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies. As we hear the teaching, the preaching of God's word, as God is revealing in his word these principles to us, to rejoice and to give thanks to God for giving the light, to give the understanding, to give me this peace that I need to build my life and to protect my life. As we look in this passage now in Deuteronomy 3, I want us to look at some of the truths that help to direct us toward that end as God was uh, talking, revealing to the people here. And to put the whole passage in context, if you didn't pick it up from where we jumped in, it's hard to jump in somewhere when you're looking at a picture this big and you're trying to get it down this big. It's hard to just jump in. But I hope you picked up as we were reading in the latter parts of chapter 3, This was Moses at the end of his life coming to the understanding he wasn't going to cross over Jordan into the promised land. After that 40 years of leading all that he had gone through, he wasn't going to cross over of God giving him that final instruction. And then look in verse 28. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him. Can you imagine doing that, being told you're not going over? but you're going to be the leader to teach and to instruct the next one for going over. We see here another testimony of the meekness of the heart of Moses. What a meek man he was. That really it was still with a heart of thanksgiving and rejoicing that he could avail himself. What happens so often in the lives of Christians, the older we get, the less we're ready to teach. We're ready to just sit back and let somebody else, aren't we? I'm just going to go for the ride the rest of the way and let somebody else do all the work. or do what? No, he kept a right heart. And then in verse chapter 4, he jumped into the beginning of doing what God had instructed him to do to prepare them for his departure from them and for them to go ahead and to go into the land. And here in verse 1, he said, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments. That term now, therefore hearken, because, or in other words, in light of all of these things, because of everything that I have already told you, because of everything that has taken place, now to come to the nation of Israel and to bring them to this point to hearken. Uh, literally, he's saying, it's time to listen up and to hear what's being said, to hear intelligently. It's time to listen up to what's being said. It's calling them to a matter of obedience. And it's not to just listen up to anything. It's to listen specifically, to listen unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you. 
I don't know, as you're going through Psalm 119, nod your head or do this. As you're going through Psalm 119, there's a number of different terms, words that are used for God's word. Statutes, judgments, commandments, law, precepts. Have you all discussed what each one of those means, the differences, the little nuances, differences within them? If not, it's something I would encourage you to study out and to know. Because really, while you're studying Psalm 119, it can get mundane and repetitious. Let's be honest. It can be. As we're memorizing Revelation 22, now finished Revelation 3 at Calvary. Uh, If you don't stop and take the time to meditate on what's the specific, what's the difference. Because when a different word is used, there's something specific that God the Holy Spirit was seeking to communicate to us that we need to know. So here he said, under the statutes and under the judgments... That matter of statutes, it's literally a prescribed task, a task that's been prescribed, something to do. And the background of the word of how it came to be literally means to hack or to engrave, such as in uh, cutting into stone or metal tablets. So it's literally a task that has been prescribed to the point that it's been engraved into stone. I don't know about you, but first thing I think of then is the Ten Commandments, right? So the statutes that have been given. Uh, when I was typing my thesis, I couldn't afford to pay somebody to type all the different drafts. And this was before even, I don't even remember what the word, first word processing things were. But one of the secretaries in our department had an IBM Selectric, I think it was. Anyway, it was fantastic. It was a typewriter that you could backspace and it would automatically do the wide out for you so you could do over it. You didn't have to try to roll it out. And in typing the thesis, you had to have it to where every, even the page number from one page to the next had to line up exactly. You couldn't have any change on anything. Each draft that was typed went to each member on the committee. They would each one mark it up. And then I had to retype the whole thing, go back to everybody, try to get everybody in agreement. Cut in stone, there's no changing. No, it's there. And to realize what he was saying here, unto the statutes, that which is so engraved, it's not changeable. It's a prescribed task that cannot be changed. And unto the judgments, we think of the law, uh, think of going to court when we hear the matter of judgments. And that's a proper thing. It's literally a verdict that's been pronounced judicially. God is the righteous judge. And as we study the scriptures, as we hear the word of God, we need to remember that God is the righteous judge. And those things upon which he's placed judgment, he said, this is sin, this is wrong. That means we're not to debate. We're not to question. That's it. The law is settled. We're not to go any farther on that. So he said to Moses, now therefore hearken unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you. Here Moses was really making a commitment, wasn't he, here at the end, end of his life. And he said, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to make sure that you know these things before you go over into the promised land. He wouldn't have survived in today's school system by any means because the matter of teaching, the word that was used here means it was with intents. The word literally means properly to goad. Have any of you ever had to help cows get back into the pasture? It's not just saying, go, cow, go. <laughs> you usually have a stick and you're poking. And that's literally what it means. Uh, and the Oriental practice did include a rod in the aspect of teaching. That's what they understood, that Moses was going to teach them. That sometimes it wasn't going to be pleasant. That sometimes there would be uh, discipline with it. But the commitment that Moses made in obedience to God, to the people, was... Now, therefore, hearken unto the statutes and the judgments which I teach you. And as we look on this, there's a result or an action that should come from that teaching. He said that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. That you may live for the purpose of going into the land. Again, and I'm going back to this because it boggles my mind. We struggle with bitterness, don't we? To realize here he had just been told you're not going in, but with joy to be teaching them and to be presented with joy, you're going into the promised land 
and to prepare you for that matter of going in. And isn't it easier when you're being taught something if you know the purpose behind what you're being taught? It is. It's a lot easier to listen to it. It's a lot easier to apply it. And that's being told them right up front here that you're being taught these things and it's for a specific purpose. And that's to be able to go into this promised land. Not only to go into the promised land to live, but also to possess that land. Uh, we, you may own your house. You may own your car. And you think, well, I possess this. For most of us, when we bought our houses uh, or are buying our houses... It's a matter of a contract and making a payment, isn't it? The term that's used here for possessing the land literally means to occupy by driving out the previous tenants and possessing it in their place. It literally means to go in to seize the land. Did you have to go in and fight the people that you were getting the house from? (laughs) It might not be in too good a condition by the time you got in if you had to. But here they're telling me you're not going in it's not just going to be laid, given to you on a silver platter, that you're going to have a work to do. You're going to possess it. One of the fallacies, and I read just a quick uh, perusal of an article yesterday of the high cost of free college education that's been documented, the high cost, not to the taxpayer, but to the ones that would receive that education uh, if it's just given to them. They don't own it. It's something that they haven't put themselves into. They have no blood in there. They have no skin in the game whatsoever. Uh, The ones that work their way through, the ones that sacrifice to go through school, are the ones that are going to gain the true education with a great respect for it. If you had to work for your first vehicle, it meant a whole lot more to you than if mom and dad handed you the keys to the BMW convertible and told you to go have a good time. It meant a whole lot more to you, didn't it? And here he was telling them, you're being prepared. You're going to be taught to go in, but you're going to have to work as you go in. It's not something that's just given to you very specifically. And it's a very specific land that's being given to them. The land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Have you ever come to a point in your life that you knew you were doing the right thing, you started doing it, and every kind of trial came into your life that you could possibly imagine? And then a couple more on top of that? If you're doing it because you knew the Lord God gave it to you, that you were going the path that he had set for you, isn't it still there's strength, there's still joy, there's still peace as you're going through it, even though those trials are coming in? And that's really the picture that's being given here. Remind them, it's the Lord your God that's given it to you. There's going to be trials. There's going to be challenges. He's going to teach and equip before you go in. But you need to remember that it's the Lord your God that's going to give it to you. Notice the phrase here now, which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Does that sound a little bit interesting to you? Not your God, but the Lord God of your fathers giveth to you. There's some very serious implication behind that. He was reminding them that the possession of this land was not just because they were such a good people. The possession of the land was because it was fulfillment of God's promise to their fathers. It wasn't being given to them because they were good. Is being given to them because of who God is, and He's faithful. Great is Thy faithfulness. He was fulfilling the promises uh, that He had made the generation before. And in verse two, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but you shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep my commandment, keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And that ties right back into what we're talking about this morning, doesn't it? If we start redefining the words in Scripture to suit our academic definition and idea of what Scripture says, that's the same thing that he was warning the people of right there. Don't you go in there and start adding to God's Word or taking away. That's what Eve did, wasn't it, when Satan tempted her? She added to the Word of God in her response, and it was part of the wearing away of her in the time of temptation to surrender and to give. But verse 3, he said, Your eyes have seen what the Lord did, because of Baal Peor, for all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. He's referencing a uh, portion in their history that they would remember after they had gone through the time that, with, uh, of the record of Balak trying to get Balaam to uh, curse the nation of Israel, that uh, he could, 
or Balaam trying to, uh, to conquer them, and God protected them, even though they didn't know all that was going on. But if you go back in Numbers and read that account, right after that came to a conclusion, they didn't know the battle, the spiritual battle that was going on. But right after it was concluded, the next portion in Numbers uh, was speaking, and Israel bowed and Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. They began to do sacrifices unto their gods. The people ate and bowed down unto their gods. So he's reminding them that you've seen these things and you saw the judgment and the destruction that came upon them as a result of that. He was reminding them to walk in the fear of the Lord, that God is a righteous and holy God, and that God does judge sin regardless what men would say. The article that I read uh, from... The AP News from Planned Parenthood, uh, which those of us sitting in here, I think, understand it's, uh, it's a, uh, a pay-for-profit murder organization. But they want people to have an understanding of something totally different. They're trying to paint a totally different picture. And they were really taking something that was holy to try to make it corrupt, to keep that which is holy. And so often we forget to remind ourselves, sometimes we forget to teach the fact that God is a holy, righteous God that does bring judgment upon men and that will ultimately bring judgment upon all. We're not going to walk in the fear of the Lord if we don't realize what His holiness is. And to realize that it's God's mercy that He allows us to see His judgment upon sin. How do you respond when what appears to be God's judgment on somebody that's in, uh, in sin, how do you respond when you see God's judgment on sin, that you're not involved in that sin, but you see God's judgment upon it? We need to guard our hearts so that it's not with a joy. We need to judge our hearts so that there's a sorrow there, but also that it's the warning to us to guard our own hearts and to guard our own lives, lest we go into that same sin or something even more horrific in our lives. Proverbs says, fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. We know that our Lord was even uh, mocked uh, by those, the holy righteous one. He was mocked by those that were sinners. Uh, Galatians, Paul said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. So whatever a man, for whatever man soweth, that shall he also reap. We need to learn as we see God's judgment And it doesn't have to be God's judgment right around. You're not going to read it on Fox News. I can tell you that right now. You're not going to read it on Drudge Report. But we can read it in the Word of God, can't we? Of how God brought righteous judgment over and over. And as we see things happening, you know, some would say that AIDS was God's judgment upon sin. We know disease is a result of sin, but we need to be careful with what we're talking about and how we say some of these things. Uh, that God does use these things, but we need to look at it really with a humility and a meekness of warning in our lives and to realize that God is desiring to seek and to save all those that are lost. Verse 4, he said, But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you, this day. I hope you understand. Here in verse 3, he brought them to the point, you remember the judgment that God brought upon all those. Now, understanding your mind might be different than mine, but I think most of us, our minds are such, we get bogged down sometimes on things, don't we? And might get bogged down of thinking, I remember that day of judgment that came. And some of these may even be thinking, my grandpa and my grandma were some of those that were judged. Maybe even my mom and dad were some of those that were judged. It might become an overwhelming grief. It might be some sort of bitterness that comes in as a result of that. Why didn't God deal more mercifully with them in that period of time? And we get stuck there. No, God, understanding, he said, But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you, this day. Those of you that adhered, that clung to God, those of you that were obedient, that clung to God's word and were obedient, that you're alive unto this day. 
that it was the obedience. It wasn't a matter of works. It was a matter of your obedience that made the difference for you this day. Verse 5 said, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Here we come again. It's almost a repetition of verse 1. That behold, it's uh, again coming back. Listen up. It was a a command to them. Listen up. Perceive. Understand. Do you take time to behold? We can hear things, but do you really take time to meditate upon those things, to really perceive them and understand them? Uh, and I know there are some here that I know from fact uh, that when they hear something, they'll think upon it and they'll come back with a question or with an observation of, you know, this goes back to this. And a greater understanding what God's Word is. If you walk out of the services and you're not taking time to go back and to meditate on what pastor preached on, uh, you're not beholding. You're hearing, but you're not beholding. You're not really perceiving what God has said. So... The importance here, bringing back to that, you need to be listening up to these things. And remind them again, it's the statutes and the judgments that I have taught you. Uh, but he's, again, we see the fear of God in the life of Moses as he was teaching. He didn't say, I'm teaching you what I believe. He said, even as the Lord my God commanded me. So he was very careful. He was diligent to understand that I am the vessel that God is using to teach these things, but I'm not teaching you from my knowledge. I'm not teaching you what my life is, what my belief is. It's that which God has commanded me that I ought to be teaching you, that we need to be very careful that we're listening to those things that we ought to. And he was diligent in doing that. And going back as we were talking earlier, what are the sources of instruction that you're receiving? As we talk about the matter of convic- um, principles, convictions, and standards, I can assure you one of the greatest battles in the life of most people regarding standards, the first is yourself, your rebelliousness. The second is going to be others that you're close to that are outside of obedience. You don't need to be doing that. You don't have to be that straight-laced. You don't have to be that stiff-necked. You can enjoy these things a little bit. It was sad, the institution that our children went to uh, used to hold different than it is now, and we've learned a whole lot as we've grown older, but they went to for college. It used to also have standards on music, standards on dress. It was heartbreaking to see when break came how many of them would leave the campus and have a place to stop to change their clothes from what the standard was at the school to the worldliness and or immodesty that they wanted to take. They didn't want to look like they were from that place. What was wrong? What was falling apart there? There was a rebelliousness of heart. But what was the source of rebelliousness? I'd say some of them it was a rebelliousness against authority. Others I would say it's because... They had not been taught what the principles were to establish the convictions in their life in order to have those standards that they had placed about them. So what happened? They stopped listening to those that they ought to have been listening to, and they were listening to everybody else that was around them. The president of that school one time said, well, we can only work with what the churches send to us. It's your fault that these things are taking place. You know, let's get over the uh, name-blaming game. Uh, and let's come back. There were other things that were out of kilter to start with. The church wasn't where it should have been. He was right from that perspective in the teaching, the equipping, and the training. So he said in verse 6, Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great, who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for. And here we get to some of that, the very basic principle of understanding what we're talking about tonight on these things. 
uh, the command that's given here first, that matter of keep. Keep, therefore, and do them. That matter of keeping, it literally means to hedge about, to keep it in place. If you're hedging about the statutes and the judgments of God to keep them in place, let me ask you, and I think we heard it in Sunday school this morning, are we protecting God or God's Word? He doesn't need our protection, does He? If we're hedging them in, it's really protecting us in the process of doing it, isn't it? It's keeping us where we ought to be. That's why we need to understand what those principles are with those statutes and just more. To keep them and to do them, to be busy about doing them. When we come to a principle in God's word to put in place, that's where the conviction and the standard comes from. When we learn the principle, we need to then establish the conviction of this is what I believe and is going to be the basis of my life. And then the standard's. How am I going to protect that? How am I going to develop that and apply it in my life? How does it live out in my life? How is it evident? I don't know, hardly, maybe one or two, just a few of you in here outside of the doors of the church building. So if I'm saying something, I'm not saying because I saw you at Walmart or I saw you somewhere else. So the example I'm using, if it's stepping on toes, it's the Holy Spirit that's stepping on toes. It's not me. But if you, when we come in here, I see people that are modestly dressed, men and women, modestly dressed, appropriately dressed. But if when you leave and you go out and you're dressing in a modest and a wrong worldly kind of a way, are you do, keeping and doing? You're not, are you? There's a rebelliousness that's going on there. And there's a multitude. I'm just using it because it's one of the first things that comes to our mind. It's so visible, so obvious. Uh, what's the music that you turn on when you get in the vehicle? when nobody else is around. What do you bring up on the internet, whether it's on your phone, on an iPad, or on a desktop when nobody else is around? What are the standards that you have established to protect the convictions based upon the principles of God's word? So he said, keep therefore and do this, for this is your wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And where, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The, uh, Solomon wrote about there in Proverbs is that same matter of wisdom here. Do you despise wisdom or do you love wisdom? Are you a fool or are you desiring to keep it and to grow in God's wisdom, in God's understanding? So the matter of wisdom, being wise and knowing these things, this is your wisdom and your understanding That matter of understanding means to separate it mentally. That means to think about it. The more you think about it, the more it's going to be instilled and applied into your life because you're going to understand the nuts and the bolts of what's going on. If you've ever taken something apart and put it back together without instructions, sometimes you might have a couple of pieces left over, huh? Or it might not fit back quite right. You might go back and look at the instructions afterward and realize I did this backward, I did it wrong, and then do it properly. But then the next time you do it, it's a whole lot easier, isn't it? Because you're thinking through step by step. But then there's a danger point that comes later. You become so familiar with it, you start doing it without even thinking about what you're doing. And that's when you start getting careless and really make the mistakes and the errors. So when he said, this is your understanding... It's literally meaning to separate it mentally, to take it apart. And we need to be doing that continually to never stop to become lazy in doing that. But we realize, as he shows here, there's also a fruit that's resulting from obedience. He said, in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes. So the fruit that results from the obedience is in the sight of these nations, those that are looking on, those that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did God choose the nation of Israel as his elect people? It wasn't because Abraham was such a good guy in the beginning, was it? God chose them in order that he would have a people in his own name to show forth who he is, to bring forth his word, and to bring forth ultimately the Messiah. Was it God's desire that the heathen nations be saved? 
Absolutely. Look at Nineveh. If nowhere else, just look at Nineveh of God's desire there. It wasn't that they were the only ones that could be saved in the Old Testament economy. It was that God had chosen them to be that. It was to bring honor and glory to him. So the desire was if they would walk in the obedience, if they'd walk in the understanding, then the other nations would look on uh, and they would see what's taking place, which shall hear all these statutes. So as they look on, we heard a testimony this morning in a prayer request that really was a reminder uh, to each one of us as Brother Hoyle was giving testimony of God's working in Braxton's life and the opportunity that Brother Hoyle and the other co- Christian co-worker had to talk with Braxton about the gospel. What is it that opened up the door? Was it just because Brother Hoyle is such a good guy? I believe he is a good guy. It was that Braxton has seen a testimony in Brother Hoyle's life and probably in this other man's life. So when we're walking in that obedience, and let's go back to the example that we've been using. When we were in Nova Scotia, a group came up from a church in Florida to work with us with Vacation Bible School and special meetings. And we had established standards of dress, among other standards, uh, that any of the workers had to adhere to while they were with us. The last day that uh, they were in Nova Scotia, we did some sightseeing together. We were going to do a tour out on the harbor of, Lynch, of Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. Got on the boat, and we went up on the top deck of it, and the boat broke down. Uh, tour boats. So they had to bring in another boat to pick up everybody. And as we were going down the steps to go down, I was at the back of the group. It was a college and career group of college and career ladies and men. There were a bunch of other people that were on this tour boat as well, and they were dressed uh, like tourists in the summertime will dress. But as we were going down, I could hear some ladies that were behind me talking about they hadn't seen ladies dressed like ladies, and they didn't know how long. This was somebody that didn't even know us, some worldly people that didn't even know who we were, but the comment that was made. And we need to realize in the sight of the nations, which shall hear or see, because it's the same thing, they're going to see it in our lives as well, all these statutes, and notice the result of that, and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? So as the heathen nations, what Moses was commanding them with, but the principles are here for us too. If you're living a godly lifestyle, if you're living in obedience to the word of God, they might not come up to you and say, you, no, you're the most godly person I ever knew, Pastor Byler. Or they'd say, Mr. Byler, you wouldn't be their pastor. You're not the most godly pe- person that I know, Andrew. Uh, they're not going to come up and say that. But the Holy Spirit can use that for bringing conviction in their hearts. The Holy Spirit can use that to cause them to start looking. This isn't lifestyle evangelism. They're just going to think I'm so wonderful. They're going to come ask what I have so I can change and be like them. But it's going to help to prepare the heart to bring the conviction upon that heart of sin. They're going to look on. This is a wise and understanding people. Let's carry it a little bit farther from Sunday school this morning as Brother Hoyle was talking about Rahab. They already knew the fear of God when they saw them crossing over Jordan and they had heard the accounts the nations that they were coming to conquer. And the, one of the beautiful pictures that's presented there with the account of Rahab, some may say, well, what about all of the innocent people that were killed in those cities that were destroyed? Let me ask you, stop and think a minute. Did all of those innocent people have to be killed? No. Rahab is a living testimony, she and her family, that every other individual that saw the fear of God could have humbled themselves just as Rahab did and could have spared themselves. Another picture of God revealing himself to all men and every man has an opportunity to either reject or to accept the grace and the mercy of God. So all the nations were looking on. They saw the mighty power of God, 
but they hardened their hearts instead of humbling like Rahab, didn't they? So the testimony here, though, is surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord God is in all things that we call upon him for? So they looked, they saw the perception, they saw God's blessing upon these people, and they realized that it was totally different. They realized these people had a personal relationship with God. This morning we talked about the matter of repentance, uh, the aspect of repentance with salvation. Remember, it was the turning from sin to God, that it's a change of mind that manifests a change in direction, a change in life of what's taking place. Not perfection, but a change in that direction. It's something that's going to be evident to other people that are around. That's what's taking place here. You say, how does that all come back together? As Moses was instructing knowing that soon he was going to be taken off the scene. Notice the urgency of what he said. Keep and do. The principles are what the statutes and the judgments, the principles. This is what God's Word teaches. This is the truth from God's Word. Then the next aspect is keep. That's the conviction. I need a personal belief in my life that's based upon the Word of God. It's not based upon where I grew up, the custom. It's based upon the Word of God. That way when the challenges come, I go back to God's Word and I judge by God's Word what is it. And then, and do. What are the standards that you're putting in place to do those things, to keep those convictions? Say, well, it's just so obvious. I know that I need to keep God's Word. That's that's obvious. I don't need to set any standards in place. I don't need to do anything. Or... Well, I know it's important to listen to sound music. And I can give you the biblical principles of why, but I don't need to establish any standards. It's just so obvious. I don't need to worry about doing that. I don't need to, I know what ungodly entertainment is, so I don't need to establish any standards. When you've made that decision, you've already opened the door to go down the path that you're going to fall into every one of those at great harm and destruction in your own life. I hope this will help you a little bit in the understanding and the developing and growing in your own lives. Standards is not a dirty, nasty, legalistic word whatsoever. I can look back when I first came out of New Evangelicalism at some of those that I was very close friends with. They practiced standards that we would say are biblical standards. They practiced them in their lives, but it was with a mocking It was with a, you know, well, you don't really need to do all this. And now we're 35, 40 years down the road, and I look at where their lives are, and it's not where they intended them to be. How is it in your life? Do you mock standards that are established, or do you just adhere to them long enough to make people think that you're the compliant one, but as soon as you get away, you say, well, I'm just listening to the music for a little bit. I'm just doing it for a little bit. No, what's the purpose for the standard? Come back and we'll work from the bottom up now. What's the purpose for the standard? It's for your protection, isn't it? To protect you, to protect the conviction that you've established that's based upon the principle of God's Word. Let's pray before.